to John's Gospel, chapter 19, this morning. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now and they have Bibles. Just wave to them or get their attention somehow and they'll get a Bible into your hands. And that way you can not only listen to what we're saying today, but follow along with your own eyes. And so Sunday mornings, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And again, what a priceless passage we come to today. John's Gospel, chapter 19, three verses, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, He gave up his spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that each time we turn to your book, that we don't need to turn to it alone, but always to be able to search it out in communion with the author, with you. And we pray, Lord, that as we study these three verses, every thought of yours, every intention of your heart behind these verses, that they would be accomplished in each one of our lives. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being able to fellowship with you and commune with you and just enjoy our relationship with you as we study your word this morning. And we pray these things. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The six hours that Jesus... (coughs) excuse me, hung upon the cross was from 9 a.m., 9 in the morning, until 3 in the afternoon. And it was from that second block of three hours, from noon until 3, that uh, God shrouded that entire scene of the crucifixion of his son in darkness as Jesus bore our sins and the sins of the whole world while upon that cross during those last three and a half hours from noon till 3 p.m., we have no record of Jesus saying anything. He hung upon the cross in silence. When he gets to the end of those three hours, uh, he breaks his silence at that time, and he breaks his silence with three of the seven statements that he spoke on the cross during the entirety of the six hours. And the three uh, of the seven things that he declared, uh, uh, three of the things of those seven that he declared in those final moments are listed for us in our text. In verse 28, he cried out, I thirst. Then in verse 30, it is finished. And finally, we know from Luke's gospel that he cried out to the Father, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. We notice his cry in verse 28 of I thirst. And it is the only statement that he made on the cross that had anything to do with his physical condition on the cross or any commentary about his physical suffering. In no other statement did he communicate the pain that he was going through uh, physically or what was happening in, in that 
that part of things. This is the only cry he made concerning his physical condition on the cross. And again, that great prophetic and messianic psalm, Psalm 22, describes the thirst Jesus experienced while upon the cross, where Psalm 22 declares of the Messiah speaking, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Not even enough moisture in his mouth upon that cross, the dehydration, the loss of blood, the loss of fluid, all that's happening, the heat of the sun upon the open wounds and all that he's going through. Not even enough moisture left in his mouth that would enable him to dislodge his tongue from it being stuck or connected to his jaw. And I think of him on the cross in all ways, but specifically in, in this area. And I think about all that he's going through physically, the nails through his hands and his feet and all the scourging and all the difficulty and for now long hours upon the cross. And imagine a thirst becoming so great that that thirst goes out ahead of even all of this other physical suffering that he's going through and demanding his mental attention and his emotional attention. That's a tremendous thirst that he had that was demanding relief. The soldiers were told gave him sour wine to drink, and sour wine was essentially vinegar. It was the common man uh, man's drink. It was the poor man's drink. And we shouldn't confuse this with the vinegar mixed with gall that had been offered to Jesus earlier at the beginning of his crucifixion. He didn't drink that because gall c- contained a pain uh, reliever in it, and he didn't want to bear our sins on the cross in any kind of a drugged condition. Uh, he uh, bore our sins in the full consciousness and and not in any kind of, of a stupor. This thirst that he expresses uh, from the cross, again, uh, the fulfillment or the receiving of this vinegar to drink, again, a fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures in Psalm 69 declared concerning the Messiah. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. I mean, the details of the word of God and the scriptures concerning the crucifixion and the death of Jesus are really nothing short of amazing. Now think about it. Why would Jesus cry out for a drink of any kind at this point in his crucifixion? Why would he make his thirst known? Why would he request a drink? He knows more than anybody else knows that he's literally within a minute of dying. Uh, Certainly no more than two minutes of just giving up his spirit and leaving that body behind at at the moment. And so why why is this call for uh, moisture for his mouth? Why this call for a drink? And I think the greatest reason of all was he knew he needed moisture in his mouth to free his tongue from being, uh, you know, clave to his jaw in order that it would then be free to cry out with a loud voice one final great statement from the cross. And that statement is, it is finished. And I want to turn our attention to that great 
statement of Jesus on the cross now, it is finished. On the cross of Calvary, whatever Jesus was doing on that cross, he provided a finished something for mankind. He introduced a finished something into human history and into the human condition. He it produced, furnished a finished it in the human history. Jesus did not cry out from the cross, I am finished, before he gave up his spirit. But he cried out, it is finished. The three English words in our Bible, uh, it is finished, they come from a single Greek word, which is the original language of the New Testament. To telestai is that Greek word. And it means literally to bring to a close, to accomplish, to complete, to finish perfectly. So what Jesus is crying out on the cross is this. It is completed, perfectly finished, completely and perfectly finished. So, of course, that raises the question of what is this it that he has finished on the cross by his death upon the cross at Calvary, Jesus paid the full price that was required in order to provide mankind, to provide us with a finished salvation. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus provided mankind with a finished salvation. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, when he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, he connected this finishing of something with eternal life more than once in the prayer. Let me read the opening part of Jesus' prayer to the Father. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. To as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus taught earlier in his ministry to the disciples. He said, the Son of Man did not come into the world to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom. Again, on the night before his crucifixion, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with the disciples, he declared to them concerning the cup, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. I'll tell you, we love to read the word that Jesus has chosen to describe our salvation, that word finished. Jesus has provided us with a finished salvation. He offers us a finished salvation. I say praise the Lord for that today for many reasons, which we'll get into in just a moment. So he declares it is finished, this salvation, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. The word tetelestai was a word that everyone at the base of that cross would have recognized him sharing. It was the word 
that would be written upon a receipt and given to you upon the full payment of a debt. So let's say you bought something and you were paying off that particular debt uh, or you went into some kind of a market or whatever and the price was such and such and you paid the full price. When you paid the full price, they would write Tetelestai across it. Um, I think many of us, we remember uh, in earlier years before technology kind of moved beyond it, where it was very, very common to go into any store. You would be given a receipt. They would have that thing that go ka-chunk, ka-chunk down, you know, and then it would ink right in there, paid in full, which means we didn't know anything more related to that debt. I don't know... Uh, How many of you, you know, have spent any time in your life, you know, being deep in debt and uh, it's a miserable feeling and to uh, be working off a debt for weeks or months or years and sometimes being paid off at $10 a month, $25 a month, $50 a month to get out from under that debt. And then comes that final day where you walk into the bank or into the loan office and you give them that last $50 or the last $100 and they write to Telestai paid in full and you walk out of the place with the receipt. I mean, it's like a thousand pounds has been lifted off of you. And it's true in a far greater measure in our lives concerning our sin. When God forgives us of our sin, as we put our faith in Christ, the whole weight of the world, the weight of our sin has been lifted off of our lives. Some of us remember it very, very well. And Jesus, when he cries this on the the cross, it is finished. He doesn't mumble it. He doesn't whisper it. It's a cry and it's a cry of victory. A great accomplishment has occurred upon the cross that he wants the whole world to know about. And if he wants the whole world to know about it, then I want the whole world to know about it. And so I love the fact that Jesus chose the word finished to describe our salvation. That's a wonderful word for many reasons. Why is that important? Why is it so important that Jesus died to provide us with a finished salvation? Why is a finished salvation necessary? It's a good question. It's a very, very important question. And I want to note, make note this morning of a handful of reasons for why a finished salvation is important and vital. Number one, a finished salvation doesn't need to be added to. When something is perfect, when something is truly finished, you can't improve upon it. Because any attempt to improve upon perfection mars the perfection. So when a painting is finished and the artist knows, I mean, by the, he or she, by the eye or by the internal thing that an artist has, when that painting is finished, when it demands that not a single more, not one more stroke of paint be added to that painting, if the painter violates that, internal thing that they have and adds that additional swipe of paint, they know that now they've taken something that was perfect and they've marred it by trying to add to the perfection. 
All you can do by adding to perfection is to mar it. Whether it's a painting, whether it's a poem, whether it's a piece of literature, whether it is a perfectly designed room or whatever it may be in life. You cannot add to perfection without marring it. And there's not one thing that God asks us to add to the salvation that he has already provided us through Christ. He's purposely given us a perfect salvation, a finished salvation, and a completed salvation and gift. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and he said, put it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The Lord did not leave a loose end or two or three or five or ten to the salvation that he provided for us. There are no loose ends for us to finish up for him. Why is this so important to emphasize Because there are so many groups in the world, and many of them professing to represent Christ, professing to represent God, professing to represent the Bible, who do not take Jesus at his word here. And thus they teach that some certain human effort or religious activity has to be added to Jesus' work on the cross in order for us to be saved. In other words, he did not supply us with a finished salvation, but a mostly finished salvation. And then now we have to bring it to completion. For example, they'll say that we are saved by believing in Jesus and being water baptized. We are saved by believing in Jesus and keeping the Ten Commandments, or and keeping the Sabbath, or and keeping the sacraments, or and belonging to a certain church or a certain denomination or or non-denomination, or that we are saved by believing in Jesus and keeping these traditions of the uh, men and women of this particular religious organization, or we're saved by believing in Jesus and uh, adding our good deeds then to it. Don't believe anyone or any so-called Christian religion that teaches you that you are saved on the basis of believing in Christ and anything else. If there's an and added to that, then what Jesus said upon the cross was false in declaring the salvation to be finished. You don't have to add to a finished salvation. We receive a finished salvation. If we try to add to a finished salvation, we will only mar it. Now, the reason that this is so serious is not only because there are so many Groups out there that are trying to convince us that we must add something to this finished salvation, but to declare that something has to be added to this salvation, this finished salvation that Christ has provided for us, it reflects very badly on Christ. Because if I declare that that salvation was not finished and it was not enough and that it must be added to, I am declaring Jesus to be lying on the very cross that he's providing salvation for us on. 
And I know nobody wants to be guilty of that. And even beyond that, to declare that his salvation needs to be added to communicates that what he did upon the cross was insufficient. It wasn't enough. And I think that even if a person has even a nominal understanding, as we've looked in recent weeks at the physical price that he paid on that cross, the mental price, the emotional price, the forsaking spiritual price, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And to look at all that Jesus suffered on that cross, the price that he paid, and then me to come and say, I have some filthy rag of my life to, that will somehow add to that scene, that some filthy rag of self-righteousness from my life is needed to make that complete, that's an insult to the cross. That's such an insult. I, I mean, you, it just makes me want to fall down onto the stage when I hear that kind of thing, and I don't know what to say. To declare that that was not enough, but somehow I can finish what he only began upon the cross. It's a terrible, terrible thing to do to God. And it's a terrible reflection upon God to say that it wasn't enough that I can add somehow to it to make it complete. I don't know how anybody can do it. You can take all of the good deeds done in all of man's history and they cannot add one whit to that cross. Everything is a filthy rag compared to that sacrifice. That's how high and holy the sacrifice of Jesus was upon the cross. Anything that we would endeavor to add to that mars what he has done. It tarnishes what he has done. Number two. Only a finished salvation is a secure salvation. Because our salvation is based upon the finished work of Jesus, it's as sure as Jesus, which means it's perfectly sure. If my salvation was based upon my works as well, then my salvation would only be as sure as my faithfulness or my ability to perform those works, which is far less than perfect, and thus our salvation would no longer be secure. Sometimes people live, like to try to add to the, their works to the cross in an attempt to uh, feel that their salvation is, as a result, a little bit more secure. So Jesus died upon the cross for our sins, but I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and it's kind of like we're hedging our bet. Well, you know, he did that, and I know he says it's finished, and that's something, a salvation that we should, you know, is, is complete, and we should respond to and all. But, you know, you can't be any harm by adding these things that other people have told me to do or things that I've come up in my own heart that I'm going to do to kind of add to that to make sure that I'm super-duper saved or something, you know. We're so goofy in the noggin on this stuff. Our salvation cannot be any sure than it already is. And the only reason it's sure is that our works have nothing to do with our salvation, that it's been received 
as a gift. If our works were involved in our salvation, our salvation would not be sure. But since we didn't earn it through our works, we can't lose it based upon our works when we fail or sin or we fall short. There are so many Christians, some of you might be sitting here saying, why is this guy preaching the obvious? It's a gift I have. (laughs) Stick around. This is what I do. But it's a little more than just that. There are so many people. You may be visiting us today and you may be one of those people. There are so many Christians who live a life of just unending panic concerning their salvation because they think their salvation is based upon their own righteousness. And so every time they sin or every time they fall, they come forward to the altar to get saved again. And it's very, very sad. It is because we have a finished salvation that we possess a secure or a sure salvation. Number three, only a finished salvation is a rest-filled salvation or a joy-filled salvation. When something is finished, you don't have to worry about it. You don't give a second thought to it. It's finished. I like finished things. So when it's finished now, it's finished, and now we're free to enjoy it. When you finish the yard work, now you rest and you enjoy it. When you finish redecorating a room, now you can rest and you can enjoy it. God wants us to rest in his salvation. He wants us to enjoy this Christian life. Joy is a very important part of, of the Christian life. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he said, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. He wrote to the churches in Galatia of the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love. And then he lists joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. There is no joy and there is no peace in a works based Salvation. Some people live like Jesus cried out on the cross. It is started instead of it it is finished as if Jesus said, all right, I got you started in your own salvation through my sacrifice on the cross. Now it's up to you to finish it through your own uh, good works and and effort. I kind of uh, picture it this way. They used to have a game called Jack's and. You have this group of jacks, and they had a little tiny ball that was a part of that, that you bounce, get the jacks, blah, blah, blah. So you can do that little ball. Let's say somebody came up to you and said, listen, this ball is your salvation. And if you still have this ball at the end of your life, then you'll be saved. How peaceful would you be? Ah! <laughs> You'd be a wreck! I mean, you not only keep that clenched in your fist, but you'd have your fist in the pocket and you'd have them put it in the pocket of your pants and sew it closed. And and then you get older and you can't find your keys or remember where the car is. And now you've got to keep track of this ball, which is more important than all of those things. What well, we would be an absolute wreck from the moment of our salvation to the day we left the earth 
if we didn't have a sure salvation, if it was based upon us keeping ourselves safe by human effort. There'd be no joy. There'd be no relaxation at all. No peace. Number four, only a finished salvation allows Christianity to be the response-based relationship with God that the Lord wants, and which he knows that we need. God has chosen to make Christianity a relationship with him that is based on responding to how good he's been to us. Our relationship is not based upon us earning things from him. The Bible says that we love him because that's a reason word. That's a response word. We love him because he first loved us. All of Christianity is a response to what God has first done for us. If I don't believe that he has provided me with a finished salvation as a beginning point, what do I have to respond to? What kind of a response do you give to an unfinished salvation, to a partial salvation, compared to the response that we want to give to God for a finished and a perfect salvation that he has provided to us? I love the model of the book of Ephesians on this whole subject of Christianity, not being a relationship with God where I'm trying to earn from him, but where I am responding obediently to his word as a response to how good he has first been to me in Christ. You take the book of Ephesians, it's made up of six chapters, and it divides uh, theme-wise this wonderfully right down the middle. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what God has done for us in Christ, who we are in Christ Jesus, what we have in Christ, in him, through him. And for three chapters, the Holy Spirit just jams those three chapters with all that God has first done for us in Christ. It's only after he's laid that down to such a degree that you can hardly absorb any more blessing from those chapters that then the Apostle Paul moves on in the beginning of chapter 4 and declares now the response that is worthy of what God has first done for us. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said, I therefore, in light of all that God has done for us, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then he spends the final three chapters of the book laying out for us the thing that he knew we would want to ask him first and foremost, and that is, what is a, what is a righteous, wonderful response to what God has first done to us? How can we bless his heart with our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving for how good he's been to us? And Paul said, here's how you do that. Here is the response that is worthy of what God has done for you. And he describes the kind of love that we're to have for one another. He speaks of Christian unity, Christian service, our speech, the area of forgiveness in marriage, in children, in parents, and employees, and employers. And none of that that he describes in there is to be done kind of out of this heartless or this mindless drudgery, 
but it is obedience in a worship-filled response to how good God has been to us. That's what Christianity is versus trying to earn God's love or earn God's uh, favor. And, and this message, particular point concerning Christianity not being an earning every single day to, so that God will be nice to me or that he'll listen to my prayers or much less answer one of my prayers versus living a life of where, God, you are just too much. You've just been too good. And uh, I just give you praise. I give you thanks. I just want to obey you to bless you and 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 to bring you honor through my life in this world and all that. That wasn't an easy thing for me to understand early in my Christian life. The early part of my Christian life, I didn't understand Christianity very well as a response. At least it might have been some head knowledge, but I had it, it took a little while to work it down into my heart. And I spent most of my time through great effort trying to earn God's favor instead of responding to it. And so there was no joy in my Christian life. There's no joy in trying to earn what you cannot earn. It was impossible to earn from God. I was trying to earn his acceptance. And I didn't realize I already had it in his son. I was trying to improve on my eternal security instead of realizing I couldn't be any more secure than I was. Salvation he provided. I was trying to prove to him that he made a good decision in choosing me instead of praising him for the glory of his grace. Don't laugh too much over there. And I was trying to earn his love and not realizing that I, I couldn't get him to love me any more than he already did. And I'll tell you something from personal experience, and some of you know it just as well. But some of you are in that place this morning. That will wear you out because that's not what Christianity is, trying to earn this, this, these blessings of God that come with salvation, trying to earn salvation, which is a free gift. You cannot earn what is impossible to earn. God wants us to relax. He wants us to take a deep breath. And he wants us to enjoy this salvation that he has provided for us in his son. And then are we going to go out and live some kind of a crazy, wicked, sin-filled life? How could we do it indwelt by the Spirit? He knows that as we learn about him and learn about what he's done for us and God comes into us when we're born again, our desire is going to want to live a life of obedience in response to that, to bless his heart. And again, for him to be seen in our lives. And he wants us to live that kind of response of worship and praise and thanksgiving and obedience to what he's first done for us. And that's what Christianity is. Christianity is intended to be lived in response to what God has first done for us. And only a finished salvation allows that to be so. And then finally, I want you to notice that having finished what he came to do, he provides us, having provided us with this finished salvation, Jesus then gave up his spirit, we're told in verse 30, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Luke's gospel gives us a little fuller account of it. 
where Jesus declared then to the Father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. His final words on the cross were not so much a statement as much as a prayer to the Father. With this work of salvation finished, he's accomplished what he came into the world to do. So he gave up his spirit and proceeded to paradise where he told the the repentant thief on the cross would be with him that very day. And the fact that Jesus yielded up his spirit distinguishes his death from all other deaths in human history. We die because we have to. He died because he chose to. As he said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down of myself. I'm very thankful that the Holy Spirit gives us the detail that when Jesus had cried this out to the Father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, that he then bowed his head after he had done so. That word that's used for him bowing his head there is the same word that's used when he was speaking to a man who came up to him and said to Jesus, in essence, I will follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus spoke to him several things. But one of the things that he said is he said, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Speaking of no bed, no pillow to lay his head down uh, at night. So the laying down of the head was the word as it's used. It speaks of laying your head down on a pillow to rest. In other words, when Jesus bowed his head here, he died in peace. And you know why he died in peace? Knowing that on the cross he did not cry out, it is begun or it has started But knowing that he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He died in peace knowing that he had provided you and me with a finished salvation. I think about what a wonderful, wonderful Savior he is. Beautiful word. The word finished. Attached to our salvation. You might not believe it if if it were me just saying it, but it comes from the mouth of our Savior. We have been saved with a finished salvation. May we rest in it. May we enjoy it. May that finished salvation supply us with a lifelong response to how good God has been to us in saving us in this way. And may God use this passage this morning to make clear to any of us that sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. To make you realize that salvation is a gift that God gives to you. How many times we will talk with people and people will say, oh, I can't, I could never come to God. I've been so terrible. Or people say, I can't, I couldn't come to church. The whole building would fall in as if, as if God was not offering us a finished salvation. That's what he's offering you, a finished salvation that you just receive as a gift into your life. By saying to God this morning, God, I confess I'm a sinner. 
I confess I've been less than perfect all my life. And I believe that my sin has separated me from a relationship with you because you're so holy and you're so pure. But I also believe that you sent your son to die on that cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And so I put my faith, my trust, I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins this morning. And when you do that, you'll receive the Holy Spirit into your life and begin this relationship with Jesus that's described in his word. And it's all there just for the asking and for the receiving. It's a free gift because not one of us individually, not all of us put together, not all of us in human history put together has enough good works to warrant or to earn salvation. And if you'd like to receive this finished salvation today and the rest and the peace and the joy and the blessing that comes with it, there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after our service. They're going to have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship today and then give you a Bible and some literature to help you get started in your walk with the Lord. I pray that this morning, this time in God's word concerning this finished salvation, that it will forever inoculate every single one of us, protect us for the rest of our pilgrimage from ever believing or falling prey to anyone who would come up to us and say to us that someone is saved by believing in Jesus and anything. And for us to realize with a great sobriety that that is an affront to the cross of Christ. That's an affront to his sacrifice to believe that anything could be added to it. And in realizing what an affront it is and that it essentially cause, calls Jesus a liar, that we would not only not succumb or be tricked into any kind of a works-based salvation, which is no salvation at all, but we would just draw back from it. It would not have any opportunity of getting any kind of traction in our lives. And sometimes we don't even need somebody to come up from some other religious organization or from some other whatever to come up and lay their trip on us. Some of us can are, can lay our own trip on ourselves. We aren't multiple personality, but we're multiple something in there. Where we can begin to convince ourselves that here are we approach, you know, that we have God's favor on the basis of our works. We have got, you know, we can rest. We can't rest in this salvation because of this or that. All these things that can be messing with our own minds and our own hearts. And it's wonderful to just be able to stop even ourselves, the voices in our own heads and say, Christ provided me with a finished salvation. And thus a sure salvation. I'm on my way to heaven. And in the meantime, I want to live a life that glorifies him, brings him pleasure, and brings honor to his name. It's an important passage. And it is not just for those that don't know the Lord yet, but it's an important passage for all of us who do as well. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a finished 
salvation. And we just marvel, Lord, as we read your word and as we read your dealings with us and even how you have provided us salvation as a gift. Only the creator could know us this way. Only the creator could know we need to be saved this way and to make Christianity a response. All of these things, Lord, and we thank you. That in looking at us as your creation, you found a way to not only save us, but to surely and completely and securely save us. And Lord, we give you praise this morning from this place for that salvation, for that finished salvation. And once again, we stand back in awe at the greatness of the sacrifice that you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit paid in order to provide it to us. Thank you, Lord, for our finished salvation this morning. And we thank you in the name of the one who made it possible. In Jesus' name, amen.